Hi. It's so good to be with you. Um, it's so good to be with you. This is a subject that I've been mulling over for the last couple months. Um, my name is Laura, and I'm the Assistant Director of Women's Ministries here at Hume Lake. Um, I've been doing this position for nine years, but I've worked at Hume for a little bit longer than that. Um, and I'm just now getting into biblical counseling. And so this is kind of where some of this idea came from a little bit. Um, obviously, it's God's idea. It's not biblical counseling's idea, but it's all very intertwined. So um, let me start off by praying for us today. God, we thank you for your daughters who want to hear from you. And so I pray that you would be with my lips and my mind in this next hour specifically, that we would be able to just lay truth um, at their feet, God, and that they would feel equipped uh, by your word to then go and give hope to their local church. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Come on in. Um, all right. Well, we've seen some crazy things in our culture the last year and a half. Uh, we've seen parades. We've seen uh, things that uh, are true to me, but maybe not to you. We've seen a lot of things in our culture start to shift, but they've been shifting. We just saw them shift really rapidly. And so, um, what does that mean for our church? That's kind of where I want to go today. Because as our culture changes, the church doesn't necessarily need to change because God's given us a foundation of what the church should be, but we need to be aware of what's around us and what God's called us to do. Okay, so did you guys get consumed by the craziness in culture last year? Specifically, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, did we lose our focus on what it is to be a Christian in a post-Christian culture? Did our church lose our focus? Did we as individuals lose our focus? Um, post-Christian culture simply means that our culture isn't founded on Christian ideals anymore. So what's coming out and rules and laws, those kinds of things, they're not based on uh, the Bible anymore, like they were way back when. Um, so we are living in a post-Christian culture. I got swept right up with it. I was watching the news. I was on Instagram all day because I wanted to be up with what was happening and I didn't want to miss anything. Were any of you like that? Okay, not just me. I just didn't want to miss out. And then my focus went toward the church. Churches were closing, pastors in Canada getting arrested, attendance in the local church went down or was non-existent, something else big was happening. I was talking to friends around California that are in ministry and also out of state in ministry and the big question seemed to be, what will the church be like when this settles? 
When this chaotic season is over, what will be left? What will sustain people in the church? And where do I personally fit in? Because I'm part of the church. There seemed to be so much work to do in building up the church, and yet I didn't know where to start. Uh, My pastor gave um, these stats the other week. You were considered a regular attender in church if you attended before COVID one time out of every four weeks. What? Yep. If you took a survey and, yep, if you were given a survey and they asked you, are you a regular attender? You said yes, and then you marked, and I'm there, one out of four weeks. After COVID, so 18 months later, our number is one week out of six. You are considering yourself to be a regular attender. So things are changing within the church even very rapidly as well. Um, Today I'm gonna take you through this journey that I've been on to rediscover and hopefully simplify our purpose in church. It's definitely not a motivational speech. It's grounded in God's word. um, And I wanna make sure that I convey his ideas correctly to you. So if we're considering our role in the church, we first need to understand what church was actually intended to be. So first I'll address what the church is, uh, and that's the universal church, God's church all over the world. Then we'll move into the church's brokenness, uh, universally and also local, and finally address the opportunity of one anothering in the local church context. Church is a people, not a place. It's God's idea, it's not man's. He created it, he has authority over it, he grafted us into it, and he explains it in one another commandments. God designed the church. He has authority over this. Genesis 12, God selects Abraham and his descendants to be his people. I love how Tiana touched on Abraham last night. I was like, yeah, that's where I'm going. Um, So what you need to understand is Abraham is living in Mesopotamia. Um, He's minding his own business, and God comes to him, God chooses him, and says, I will be your God, and your descendants will be my people. Genesis 12, 2 says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you are a blessing. Megan talked about that last night. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We call this group of people the Israelites. These are God's chosen people. In Exodus, God calls the Israelites to be set apart, holy, obey his commands and law, and live differently than the other nations. This is a couple hundred years after Abraham. Abraham's descendants are found in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule uh, in slavery, which was not something they wanted to be in, and they've been crying out to God. Exodus 6, 6 says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Then God gives them laws to follow, to be holy, to be set apart from other nations. These are called the Ten Commandments. But God doesn't just give them those laws. He actually sets them apart geographically. 
from other nations for 40 years. He causes full reliance on him during this time. Did you know, this was so interesting to me, I'm such like a nerd with all this stuff, um, their journey from the Red Sea after they escaped Egypt, okay, they crossed the Red Sea, from that point to the promised land, it would have taken them two weeks on foot. Took them 40 years. What's going on? God's being really intentional, right? Um, He's doing a few things here besides reliance. He's teaching them not to intermarry. That was really important. Meaning he wants them to be pure, not only physically but culturally, and to worship him alone because his people are supposed to look and be different than the rest of the nations. I mean, 40 years is like he's really establishing this. He's not joking around. New Testament, the first Christians are called to be set apart, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This sounds a lot like Exodus, when God's calling the Israelites out of Egypt. Peter's causing us to remember. Remember the bondage of slavery that you were in. Now because you're God's people, be holy, act like it. Identity hits center stage here. Don't forget whose you are. The church is God's. Romans 11.11, Paul is explaining how the Gentiles' first century Christians are grafted into the family of God, the church that was originally set up in Genesis with Abraham. So as Christ comes, he dies for our sins, we are grafted into this church that he started thousands of years ago with Abraham. That's fascinating to me. It's fascinating in a way that when you read Genesis and he says, I, God says to Abraham, I will make your descendants as many as the stars, he's talking about you. I think that's so cool. So the church is God-centered, God calls his people, uh, calls them to be set apart, be holy, placing himself as the authority, and we're that people called the church. And we're part of the whole church, the body of Christ, made up of people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. So how can we better understand the function of the local church today? I love this quote. Jonathan Lehman in his book, Church Membership, because these are the kind of books I pick up, uh, says this, a local church is a real life embassy set in the present that represents Christ's future kingdom and his coming universal church. If we think in terms that the church is an embassy rather than a membership service or a club that I buy into with my tithe. The picture of the church gets a little clearer for me. I hope it gets clearer for you. An embassy is a strong, clear representation of a kingdom inside a different kingdom, but it doesn't conform to that kingdom. It has its own laws, its own rules. The citizens follow those. They don't conform to what's outside, yes? Makes sense? We understand what an embassy is. In our embassy, the church, God gives us his rules and laws in scripture. How we are to interact with him and how we're to interact with each other. His law reveals his character, meaning what he is like. In the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are about man's relationship to God 
and the next six are one another's. What man's relationship ought to be with man. God builds his church on the foundation of Christ, and then he entrusts his people to build on that foundation. Has anyone been experiencing a thinning out in your church? Thanks, thanks, yeah, yeah. That's kind of right along the lines of the conversations that I've been happening with friends. And when I think about people leaving the church, um, I get a sadness. Um, Some of these people were looking you know, down the pews, and some of these families were there, they had been there for 15, 25 years, they um, raised their family, their kids in that church, and they're not there anymore. So why are we experiencing such an upheaval when we seem to be smooth sailing for so long? There's a problem right, or a means of purifying the church. The turmoil in our culture has exposed brokenness in the church. And we've just experienced a huge upheaval in our culture, so it would naturally affect those within the church. The means in which you win people through are the means that you win people to. What does that mean? If we invite people into our churches to be consumers, they'll look at what they can get out of it. If we invite people into our churches to be entertainers, they're gonna always look for their preference. If we invite people to value truth, they'll look for truth. If we invite people to be a functioning part of the church, they'll use their gifts in the church. It's important to recognize that in the last 30 years, we've actually been building on a shakier foundation than the solid rock of Christ. Some churches have chosen entertainment over word-based worship. We are prone to be consumers in America and in church, instead of caring for the souls of a flock in a more personal way. And when the church puts these ideals out, sometimes unspoken ideals, like they're not saying it from the pulpit, the people still fall right in line. The people look for the means in which they were brought into the church. So where's the focus in the local church? It can be tempting to base our church involvement on music style, programming, or aesthetic preferences, rather than truth being taught or loving the congregation. Um, I recently ran into a mom at soccer last Saturday, and I said, hey, you're attending church, where do you guys go? And she's like, oh, we go here. I said, that's great, you guys love it there? She goes, well, I mean, My husband and I, it's okay, they have a great children's program and there's no way that we would leave. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) great. Just kind of like wondering why we are where we are. I think it's good to think about those kinds of things. But is it any wonder that we've become consumers of a type of worship or preaching that's tailored to me? Does church on Sunday fulfill me? Even the question, what do you think about worship today? implies that when I go to church, it's to feed me and my emotions and my feelings and what I think I want, what I think I need to get out of it, and maybe even what I think you should be getting out of it too. When we look at scripture, church is not designed by preference. God's word does not describe the gathered church as merely a weekly event. Wait, did you guys know that? Let me say that again. God's word does not describe the gathered church as merely a weekly event, but 
It's his people living a lifestyle of one anothering, in community, discipling, learning more about Christ so that we can know how to follow Jesus more and help others follow Jesus as well. This is how the world will see Christ. When we look at the church, it shouldn't be about style that we choose which church body to be part of. Have you guys ever thought about that? But biblically, we commit to a body of believers that we're being taught about truth, who God is, and we commit to a community of believers to one another with. You commit, you affirm, you build up, you jump right in, you disciple, we're to be kind, compassionate, speak truth and love to, pray for. How we see and treat the local church is a direct reflection of how we understand the global church. We can't say we care for the nations if we first don't care for our local church congregation. Have we been more focused on our impact outside of church? Did we get caught up in that too much? Politics, other people's sin, unwanted circumstances. Is that where we put our energy this last year? Let's not get distracted and off the mission God has for his church, which is caring for each other inside the church, that is, if, that is just as, if not more important, than the work we do outside the church walls, because the world will see that work done first. They want to see that we love each other. They want to see that we're unified. We can't forsake that work. Dr. Tony Evans says, I hear people say I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Being part of a church body affects your spiritual maturity. Faithful church membership has nothing to do with attendance alone in church and has everything to do with attendance in church. Let me say that again. Faithful church membership has nothing to do with attendance alone in church. By you showing up and checking the box, it doesn't make you a faithful church member. But you have to show up to know who to one another to. You have to be there. One out of six is not really there. I was thinking about the one out of six just before in the back, and I thought, man, if I told my kids soccer coach, they'll be here one out of six practices. Are they gonna learn soccer? My kids are little. They're not gonna learn a lot. If I told the kindergarten teacher, hey, you know what? She's only gonna come to you once every six days. That doesn't usually fly. We know that we need more. Our presence coming together uh, actually ministers and encourages each other when you show up. We gather corporally. Uh, there's a positive aspect of worshiping together. Our showing up reminds each other that the big story of the Bible is that God mercifully gathers redeemed sinners to himself through the blood of Christ. Our question then shouldn't be about the open-handed preferences of church life and style but should be more about which church congregation can I best serve in? 
The church has an opportunity to live in a healthy spiritual community and equip God's people. Our relationship with Jesus starts personal, but it moves very quickly to community with others. Our faith is personal, but it is not private. We we see that in Acts 9, 1 through 2. Jesus says in Luke 10, 27, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our Christian walk was never intended to be individual. You cannot do church by yourself. You cannot be your own embassy. You would be a crummy representation of the church if, you were, if it was just you as the embassy. God in his kindness created us to be in community from the beginning of time. In Genesis 2, God sees that it's not good for a man to be alone, and yet we scoff when we're asked if we go to church anymore. We're asked, uh, or we scoff when we're asked if we don't ser- why we don't serve in the body anymore. We hear responses like, I don't need church. I had a falling out with someone in my church. My personal relationship with Jesus is my own, or the church doesn't do anything for me. You have a list of one another's there. I'm gonna have you go ahead and grab that out. These are all the one another's in scripture. I thought about going over all of them in the Greek and I decided not to. You're welcome. Um, But I'm gonna ask you a couple questions that are on actually your second piece of paper there as well. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of time uh, to just circle or make a note on the one another's page um, of, of where you're, you're at according to these questions. So the first question is, which one of these one another's am I known for in my church? Tabitha was known for a one another in her church in Acts. Which one are you known for in your church? Were we able to circle one? What are you known for in your church? What would they like to be known for? I know there's definitely some on that list that I would like to be known for, but I'm not. Second question. Which of these one another's can I grow in? So that's kind of like, what do I, what would I want to be known for? Which one can you grow in? Maybe it's one that you did a while ago, but you haven't done it in a while. And 
And the next question, you can always go back to these, is um, is there a sister in Christ who you can identify needs one of these brought to her? Is there someone in your mind? You're like, oh yeah, Amy. She really, she could be discipled right now by me. Or I could really serve Judy in this way. I want you to write down a specific name. Who can you one another with? The funny thing about these one another's is we want them done for us, but we also have to be willing to jump in and do them. <laughs> so which one are you known for? Which one can you grow in? And which sister needs one of these one another's? Because it might be you. <laughs> Just might be you to bring it to her. You'll notice that the one another command that is most frequent is to love one another. Each one another hinges on our love first to each other. When we go to scripture, we see that without love, we're a clanging gong. People will know us, the church, Jesus' disciples, by our love for each other. We're commanded to love each other because Christ first loved us. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Christians, the church is on display to show the world who God is first by loving each other and being unified, 2 Corinthians. This is something we can't do as an individual. We actually need each other to display our love to Now let's think about one another's in a different way. What if only your pastoral staff were allowed to one another? Right? Wouldn't you look at this list and say, I absolutely would expect my pastoral staff, we'll say staff, not just the senior pastor, we'll include the whole staff. You would automatically want them to be doing all of these all the time for you when you need it, for your family, for friends that you have in the congregation. But what we know is that there's too many needs in the church that the pastors would never have enough time to get to everybody. Keep in mind that uh, God didn't just equip pastors with education to one another, but he equips us to one another. And God knew that it would be a great need And he calls each of us to take part in that responsibility because of that. I love how Tiana is talking about, um, obviously, the need that we have as individuals. And you're not meant to carry that alone. We need each other. Um, There's a couple one another's that I do want to address. There's actually four of them. Uh, Have patience with one another, bearing with one another, bear each other's burdens, and forgive one another. These four imply something. They imply that the church isn't perfect. Surprise. God already knew. He knew that the church wasn't going to be perfect, and yet he said that we have to stick with one another. The good news is that the good news in that the church not being perfect is that you're welcome there, and I'm welcome there. Sinners are welcome there. And so we can accept 
one another and we can confess our sins to one another. These four one another's imply that the church can be troublesome. Do you know why Christians aren't convinced that the church is for them? And some of it's our fault. Do you have any idea? Because somebody in the church hurt them. Someone in the church said something offensive to them. And they didn't know how to handle that kind of conflict well because they expected grace and they didn't receive it. We didn't one another well. That is why there are some Christians, the, the one out of sixers, they're like, I don't really need that. We need to forgive, accept, bear with one another. And we can do those things in confidence and love because Christ did them for our sake first. If we aren't being motivated to one another by God's love while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, then our one anothering is not because of gospel motivation, but is moralism. I don't know about you, but good behavior usually just fizzles out. Most of the time we feel like it's our power to change people or, or change their circumstance. And some of you guys have been there, you've walked with uh, families or maybe it was a couple or maybe it was just a single woman or a child um, and you walked with them and, and it was painful. And, and you, as you bore that issue with them, and I wanna say thank you for carrying that, but it's no small task when you sign up for those. And I have good news that the scriptures speak that it doesn't recommend that when things get hard that you handle anything by yourself, for yourself or for anyone else's sake. That's why we have a whole body you don't have to carry one person's burdens alone. You guys can actually come around someone and carry them. The Holy Spirit does the handling, the transforming, the regeneration, the changing. That's actually his job. If you didn't know what the Holy Spirit was all about, that's what he's about. As followers of Christ, we're called to bear each other's burdens and be patient with each other. We don't take on the responsibility of the Holy Spirit but we are commanded to one another in the midst of the work that the Spirit is doing. The scriptures do not suggest that when things get hard in church that we leave for another church body, that we gossip, or that we turn our Christianity to be individualistic. As God's people, we embrace then the responsibility to one another. My seven-year-old is very responsible. Her name is Lucy. And uh, I thought this was timely because on Tuesday, she was pouring her heart out to me. Um, how responsible she was and not her sister, who's five. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm giving an attentive ear and I'm like, this is interesting, let's see where this goes. Um, so Lucy, you know, it's like, whenever you guys need something, you, you know, you and dad just ask me to do it and you should ask her to do it. And to be honest, it's easy to ask her to do it because I know she'll do it. I know it'll get done. Um, so she had an ask. She asked for one year off of responsibilities. 
I did not, I didn't know that was coming. I was like, oh, she'll ask, you know, to make it more fair. Nope, one year off, mom. And honestly, I thought about it. And I, I really, as a parent, was like, you know, you deserve one year off. You're a really good kid. And I told her that. I said, you deserve a year off, Lucy. And then I, I don't think she was probably expecting that response either. So we're in the kitchen just looking at each other. And I said, um, but what kind of person would you be after one year of not helping or contributing to the family? You wouldn't learn how to do more things. You wouldn't have, and, and you'd have a hard time showing us that you love us in different ways. I don't know that you'd grow as much as a person if you got a year off. And she thought about it, and she said, yeah, I'd probably be bored. <laughs> I thought that was a good, good answer. Are we like Lucy? If we don't take up our responsibilities in church and God's family, what's at stake? For you personally, it's your spiritual maturity and not showing love to others through different means, which makes a terrible witness. Christ has given us so much that we overflow with joy to be unified and serve each other in humility. As an overflow of what God has done for us, we joyfully, joyfully give back. And get, that gives him the glory. That's how he designed it. Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands with which he is to bless you. Bless us now. So as we go from here, there's a few things that I want us to recognize. If you're a Christian, but you're not currently a member of a church body, I want you to start to think about where you can get connected. Not based off of preference, but based off of the people, off the congregation. And I want you to jump in and I want you to serve. I want you to start to one another. There's something so beautiful in that. Remember, we're members of Christ's body. It's not an optional club for a Christian. Church is about the people of God and his truth, not the style that it comes in. My good friend Megan said, People can't love you if they don't know you. So get plugged in and get known. If you've been burned by someone in the church or maybe you've burned someone, offended, disagreed with, go to that person. Forgive, love. Show them that you care. Accept them. Even if they're no longer in your church. Those are still your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm part of a small church in a small town, and we had a big church split in the 80s, uh, which I was not part of because I was a baby. But, um, you know, some of those people we have memorials for now that were really involved in the church at that time. And there's something so sweet about seeing 
your brothers and sisters come back into the church that haven't been there for 30 years and watch these people hug each other. Watch them have great conversations because they're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not meant to be divided. We're meant to be united and it's beautiful when we get to reconcile. We're called to live in unity. We can forgive and love as an action and obey in freedom and walk in freedom. Ladies, I know there's some of you or you know somebody that is struggling with a sister. And we can obey in loving and forgiving because those are actions. You don't have to wait for the feeling. Some of us need to be maybe pushed by a friend. Hey, I think you need to reconcile this relationship. I encourage you to do that and walk in that freedom. If you're part of a church, but you want the church to look differently, more about caring for individuals in their uh, flock, what do you do? It's kind of where I was at. Ask your friends, ask others, ask your pastor, where can I serve? Who needs to be seen? What are the needs? Look at the list of one anothering, pick a person to love through it, and, and start, start that practice. Change your focus from doing church as a chore that puts on family events and see it as a family of God. Family responsibilities are important and bring life to others. For all of us, pray. Pray for the church. There's a thinning out in the churches and that's okay because it's God's church ultimately and he will do what he wants with his church. He is thinning us out, he is purifying us. Look to the right and the left of you. That's who you're supposed to be doing ministry with. Resting knowing that God has called you to love his people and it starts with the family of God, the people closest to you. I know that during the last year it was like, well I feel so separate I don't know if I have these relationships anymore. And then some of these people weren't coming back to the church when we got back in, and, and that's painful, but we still gotta keep going. There are still people showing up in your church. It may not be who you thought was gonna sit there in front of you, but it's still somebody that is part of the body and needs to be one anothered. As we close, Christian, be comforted. God created all things with his church in mind to reflect his glory. If we simply want another only for the sake of the people inside the church, it may not be me-centered, but it could become us-centered. And what the Lord wants is for it to be God-centered. He will bring us to completion. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. His church won't die. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's really good news. I don't know about you, but it's comforting to hear that I'm his as an individual. And then it's a blessing to be part of his chosen people. Just go home and go, man, what can I do? 
In this uh, book that I was reading, there's this quote that says, it's uh, easy to be busy. It's harder to be effective. I've kind of like adopted that (laughs) as my mantra right now. (laughs) Because I don't want to go out and I don't want to go back home and just start doing things if that's not what God's called me to do or maybe that's not what the people need right now, have you recognized that our needs have even changed? They've changed. Be effective, I want you to be so effective. Don't just get busy, be effective. We're gonna close today. Um, I'd love to pray Romans 15, five through seven over you as we're sent out into the many things that you can do today. But I do appreciate you coming. And um, I hope that it's been uplifting, if not given you some hope for the future, um, for yourself being part of God's family, um, and then for your local church as well. So this is Romans 15, five through seven. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God, we give you this time we know that your Holy Spirit is out, he's working, he's transforming, he's changing, and so we praise you that we don't have to carry the burden to do that, even in ourself, let alone other people. I pray that you would give us eyes to see that you are not done with the church, even though the culture is changing radically around us. Pray that we would hold fast to your truths, the foundations of scripture, who you say that we are, and we praise you that our identity has always been in you. Even when you called Abraham, way back when. And so we praise you for that. We're in awe of who you are. Bless these ladies as they go back to their rooms and back to their families and their churches and their friends. Pray that they would be an encouragement. God, I pray that they would start to one another and live in harmony with each other, that we would glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.